Welcome to another episode of the Collaborative Leadership Podcast from Alec Cameron and David Archer. Leadership used to be about setting a vision and creating followership. It's much more complex now. Leaders now need to be able to build partnerships and relationships across organisational boundaries. These podcasts from SOCIA will help you address the challenges of becoming a truly collaborative leader. David, I don't know if you noticed, but our friends at the Financial Reporting Council have produced the new 2014 version of the UK Corporate Governance Code. I'm sure it's top of your reading list. Well, yes, it's made it into my to-do list, but actually I haven't had a chance to read it yet. So, um, yeah, what are the highlights? Well, much as you would expect, okay, the two-yearly cycle always throws up some interesting new issues. The remuneration is back on the agenda again. No surprise? No, none at all. Greater degrees of transparency required. But more interestingly, I think the theme on all the changes is the long term. So are remuneration policies supporting the long term success of the business? And that seems to be the key um, to what they're asking. In addition, they're interested in risk management and internal controls of the business in relation, again, to long-term health. So companies are having to really state whether this business is an ongoing concern, a viable concern, in the longer term. So less of this thinking about things in 12-month cycles. I think that's really interesting. And actually, I think non-execs bringing in different perceptions of risk and where they see potential risks to a, a business coming from in the longer term is, you know, a real part of the value of the ad. So that's that's useful. Absolutely. And then the third thing that they've brought in or enhanced, if you like, is shareholder engagement. Mm-hmm. There's always been, as you know, a requirement to do good, kind of good listening to shareholders, etc. But what they're now saying is they want to engage the board is required to engage with shareholders where say a group have a particular interest or maybe have voted in a particular way an AGM maybe not have won the vote but have still made their voice heard so the requirement now is for the board to engage with those shareholders understand where they're coming from Those all sound useful updates. I mean, I think the code is becoming an extremely valuable tool for boards of all sorts to use in their (coughs) developments. I mean, I know we've long argued that boards are, effective boards are collaborative entities and, you know, they're not teams, they've got to work in a different way. But actually, I think the code helps boards see what being collaborative really means. Well, it can do. I mean, I'm not sure if it mandates it, but on the comply and explain principle, they could, they could go, we're not collaborative, and here's the reason why. Yep. But, but collaborative doesn't mean cosy. No, no, it doesn't. And, and uh, you know, the, the FRC are absolutely clear. They're dead against the idea of a cosy club. Mm. You know, if you look at their review, say, of Rob Bank of Scotland back in yep. the 
2009, you had something that was far away from a cosy club. But mm. there again, it could have been described as a cosy club in the sense that everybody has to agree with the CEO mm. and nobody challenges. So given those failures and, you know, dramatic failures and failures that really hit the public imagination, they have responded. And every two years, the code is pushing to a more sophisticated, more diverse view of what true collaboration really is about. And I think, you know, the fact that PLCs have to have an external evaluation every three years and have to show the results of that through their annual report and their AGM is a really important vehicle. It makes you think if entities like, you know, the co-op, you know, obviously we've now seen the miners report and seen all the failures of governance in that, but actually if they'd had to run external evaluations on a regular basis, then some of the problems of a board that was made up of people who'd been elected to represent particular interest. And in, and in fact, you know, could only get nominated for election if they were already on other co-op sub-boards. So they were kind of almost got captured by the process. You might have been able to spot the flaws in that a lot earlier. I think so. Although, you know, I'm not quite as optimistic as that. I think that partly it depends on people like you and I who do these board evaluations. You know, what's the quality? Have we become part of the Cozy Club or not? Yep. Okay, question. I hope we are not, not of that ilk, but, you know, I wonder if some are. And I think that the fact that these are guidelines and prompts, if you mm. like, to the board means it hasn't, you know, got legislative force behind it in the true sense No, no, no. But again, I think that means going back to the shareholders and to some extent the senior independent director to say, actually, are we getting the value out of this evaluation process that we should? And can we see what is on a board's development plan and are they evaluating themselves against kind of progress towards that you know are they building the behaviors that will make them kind of more effective well it's certainly the case that where you know you see the best chairman they're really using the board evaluation process as a regular not even just three yearly Mm -hmm. process to deal with issues of succession on the board changing skill sets perhaps tense relationships unclear strategies all sorts of things Mm. and the board valuation process of course can push those issues right up the agenda to the point where it's unavoidable Mm. they have to be addressed and that has to be a good thing kind of a bit of self-analysis goes a long way in these things because i think actually boards are fantastic sort of laboratories of collaborative groups you know their the, the very design has got tensions built in between executive and non-executive between people who've got different roles and will necessarily bring different perspectives but are all, all working towards a common end in terms of the health of the organization and the value it delivers to its shareholders well that's right i suppose the danger is that either on the one hand it becomes all about the governance and the bureaucracy of the board or on the other hand it becomes all about the behaviours of key individuals and as we always say it is a combination of the governance the behaviours and indeed the operation of the board in the sense of what data are we looking at you know what are board papers like do they help us make good decisions and that's what it's about I remember a particular board chairman working with on evaluation and we were looking at asking questions about the quality of debate in the boardroom and he said the starting point of any good debate is a good paper and actually you know unless you've got everyone looking at 
the information they need and addressing issues at the right level. You may have people with all the right kind of attitudes, but actually you won't get the informed debate and the degree of challenge you need. So yeah, those, those three things need to really yeah, fit together. Absolutely. But you know, there's good research on this stuff and then the drivers for board effectiveness are a very interesting combination of things. And, and you know, from the emotional intelligence of the chairman that says, you know, at one end, right down to is the board actually paying attention to the critical strategic issues for, for the business or is it avoiding those and dealing with a series of procedural or detailed yeah, yeah. stuff? You've got to make sure the board's addressing the right agenda. You've got to make sure you've got the right composition of the board. Yeah, um, that's, the, that's the trick. And actually, you know, in some ways, some of the technical capabilities you'll need to bring in will change as your board strategy changes. And, you know, you'll, you'll need more expertise in social media or whatever if that becomes your new marketing strategy. But underlying that, the kind of qualities of board members, in my view, as collaborative leaders, kind of are always there. Well, I think so. There is a difficulty of getting the right constitution and the right experience and skill sets on the board when you're looking at the NED group. By the very nature, they tend to be older and they Mm. tend to be experienced individuals. However, that means that they can often be experienced in the past, not in the, the present or indeed in the future. And the risk is they may come to issues and problems with a similar set of backgrounds and actually you know we all know the most effective way of addressing an issue is to have a diverse set of people around the table to uh, bring different perspectives and that's another thing the frc is increasingly focused on every time it brings out code the issue of diversity is considered and they have you know a wide view on this Mm. they don't have just a narrow view that it is about a gender balance on the board they don't have a view that it's about purely about ethnic diversity. They're really seeing are the skills, the experience, the backgrounds, and I think background is very important yeah, yeah. to avoid groupthink. Of course, with diversity also comes the challenge of well, how do you mediate across those different views? Because if you've got people with different different backgrounds, different experience, different languages to, to describe an issue actually you need to find a way of using that potential conflict potential different perspectives in a way which actually can help you move towards the common agenda and i think that you know you come to the role of the chairman then yeah and to some extent the senior Mm -hmm. independent director but particularly chairman need to be really great at some of these mediation positions they need to be good at sitting with conflict but handling it Mm. getting it to resolution building consensus across the the group and really ensuring that the relationships around the boardroom table are positive and sustained and honest and i i guess absolutely the chairman's got a, a particular role but actually i think all board members need to have you know the basic empathetic listening skills so you can hear the different views, the different perspectives of people from executive and non-executive different backgrounds and they may not be your own but you can listen to understand why they might hold that view and I think that applies kind of across the board. Well it does, I suppose on the, the other side of it is that we're, you know, as the FRC is looking more to the long term, good chairmen and good boards 
need to have more of the patience yeah. to wait for yeah. results. They need to have not to be pushed and pulled by by voices and noises mm. off. They need to be able to bring people together and to take the time that it sometimes takes mm. to do that. And actually, I think that sometimes means to be prepared not to decide, to say, actually, the best thing we can do in this situation is to listen and understand more. Sometimes I see boards who are just so desperate to say success means decisions which are minuted for this time. You know, I'd often ask boards to go back and say, so how many of those decisions did you have to revisit because you actually tried to make them too early? And I think that good chairmen particularly can calm the decision-making of a board down, really, and it can take its time. And in the complex worlds these businesses have to operate have to often wait for results to come through. I guess the flip side of patience is though actually you mustn't get too kind of stuck in there's only one way of doing things and we started down this route and we must wait for it. Actually you've also got to be able to be prepared to be agile and to spot another opportunity and so it's that kind of personal quality of being invested for the long term but also being open and able to pick up with new ideas. I think so. It, it makes me think about attitude to risk yeah. and, and appetite for risk, actually, across the board. In some cases, you have executives who are sometimes more gung-ho than non-execs. I've seen yeah, it yeah. both ways around. I've seen the NEDs much more keen to push the, the executives to take a bit more risk. But that's one of the key tensions yeah. um, across the board. And if you get that tension working right, and you know, if you get the risk, the risk process and the risk discussions right, then you really have a place where collaboration and innovation can thrive. But I think that's where board evaluation is really, really useful because no board's going to get it right all the time. But for me, what matters is, can you look at how you made that risk-based decision last time? And can you learn about not just was it the right decision, but what process did you use to get to that decision? And what have you learned about yourself by going through that process? So that next time, you're, kind of, you're better informed. I think that's right. And you know, I'm going to say something that I probably kind of disagree with almost myself. But I do think nobody really knows how good board evaluation is. Wow. And, you know, obviously our, days. our board evaluations are fantastic, but um, <laughs> that goes without saying. But we don't know how rigorous that process yeah. is. We don't know how, you know, how well it is being conducted. Yeah. And we don't know, to be honest, what kind of cosy clubs are evolving in order no. to make that less critical therefore not to achieve the very objectives you're stating there which I agree with absolutely now I agree I guess I hope that now certainly in PLCs who've had to go through an evaluation process several times now that you know the first time it might have been a tick box let's just do a pass fail but actually we know we're going to do this again and again so how can we get more out of it and I think we're seeing that in the PLC world. I think we're starting to see that in, in other boards as well, although they don't have to follow the FRC code, mm. actually seeing, seeing the value of evaluation in, in, different, uh, in different ways. Well, a bit, a bit. I think the idea of evaluation is now legitimate. And I think that we're seeing more boards of different sorts approach them. We've got clients that are from non-PLC yes. backgrounds who are now saying we need to evaluate our boards. Uh, 
we need to work out whether that's that's actually going to deliver improvements. Mm. Okay, can we prove the board evaluation process is making boards more self-critical and to improve their effectiveness? And all boards are not the same. And I think one of the things that you know we and, and other people in this field need to understand is the difference between PLC boards, charity boards, public sector boards. You know, they've all got the same title, but they operate in different ways, and therefore maybe they need to be evaluated and developed in, in slightly different ways. And that's the perfect, a perfect topic for a future podcast because we've got some you know kind of surveying happening now so listeners might be interested in future podcasts where we'll hopefully share some of that so we can actually pinpoint where different types of boards perhaps are designed differently and have to operate differently so let's try that one out for a size later well we'll have some more data to bring with that in a couple of months If you want to find out more about collaborative leadership and the work we do here at SOCIA, visit www.socia.co.uk where you can download more podcasts and other free resources.